live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. The game. Come on! Yes, sir. Good morning, family. I'm just petering out every single morning with that open. But uh, good morning, nevertheless. Stephen Langford in with you on the pregame show, leading you up until 6 o'clock when the morning roast will take over until 10. Today, I want to pay attention to starting pitching. Now, I'm not going to take up the entire show with it because I do want to start off with the NBA playoffs and all the action that happened yesterday. But with what happened in the A's win against the Mariners as they won 6 to nothing last night and Sean Manaya pitched a gem. Now, granted, it was against a Mariners lineup, which really is not very good, but still, a shutout is a shutout. And, and I, I think I'm just confused with the A's starting rotation. And I want to know from you, if you're an A's fan at 888 which starter is going to be the most reliable for you? And I want to want to parse through that today. And also another guy for the Giants, Kevin Gosman, who was named the National League Player of the Month. Uh, there are some numbers that he has that stuck out to me as I was just sifting through it yesterday. So I want to get into that as well. So a lot of starting pitching talk today. And then, of course, some NBA playoffs. And we finally heard from 49ers new defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. He spoke to the media yesterday in the second week of OTAs, and it's time to overreact to OTAs with D'Amico Ryans. But I do want to start off with the playoffs, and where do we want to go here? Because, look, the Jazz-Grizzlies, that series, you know, the Grizzlies didn't really have a shot, right? We we know that the Warriors were ultimately a better team than the Grizzlies, and I had a tough time watching that series. I, I really did. And I stopped after a little bit, because I'm just like, as soon as Donovan Mitchell came back, I'm thinking, you know, this, this Grizzlies team just doesn't match up against them. They can't compete with them for seven games. This series is lost. And also, there was a little bit of saltiness watching that series, because I'm just thinking the entire time that the Warriors should have been in their place. So there wasn't much to that one. You had the 76ers and the Wizards and the fallout from the Wizards and what's going to happen with Bradley Beal remains to be seen. But really, the Wizards com- were competitive uh, for the first half of uh, <laughs> in, the, in the series. And after that, the Sixers dominated. Of course, the Wizards did get, the, uh, uh, did get game four, but ultimately it was just a gentleman's sweep for the 76ers. But I do want to focus on a couple of other games. So we had the Clippers in the Mavericks, and I do want to get into what happened uh, with that. But I also want to give a shout-out to the Knicks and the Hawks. Now, this ended up being only a five-game series, and the Hawks you know, ended up taking it four games to one as they won in MSG last night, and Trey Young was a monster, uh, putting up 36 points. But I'm going to say that out of all the series that happened in the first round this uh, this year. You know, the Lakers and the Suns, there was a lot of intrigue there to start out because you're getting a team that finally gets LeBron and AD back, one that, 
you know, it's essentially a, it could have been a one-two Western Conference matchup if those guys were actually in in the regular season, and the Lakers would have been right at the top. So we were uh, getting, you know, a kind of a kind of a treat getting the Lakers and the Suns, but ultimately with AD out, it just looks like LeBron's given up. So with that series, there's not much intrigue. There was a lot with the Bucks in the Heat, but the Heat did not look like the same team at all. I didn't know what to expect from the Hawks and the Knicks, but what it turned out to be was just a great set of basketball games. Like, I didn't care about where the series was at. You know, Clippers-Mavs, it has the intrigue because now the Mavs are up 3-2 on the Clippers, and that series is a good one because they're just going game for game here, and, you know, the Clippers fought back to tie the series, and the Mavs now got the win in Staples Center. Very interesting what's going on there. But even though the series was out of reach for the Knicks, I found everything that was happening with Trey Young, the fans at MSG... I just found it to be incredibly entertaining. And yesterday, Trey Young, you know, he was on fire, right? He was doing everything to piss off the Knicks. Him and Julius Randle were getting after it in the going to going into halftime. But Trey Young made a move, stepped back, hit a three, and then he waved to the crowd and took a bow. And then Trey Young, after the game, spoke to uh, spoke to why he took that bow. I mean, the bow is something I did. I did it in high school after I hit a game winner. And um, leading up to this game, I knew I know where we are. I know it's a bunch of shows around this city, and I know what what they do when the show is over. So that's pretty much what it was. So it was just a fun series. It was a fun series. It felt it felt like for the first time, you know, it's been fun having fans back and you know seeing the reaction to it. Obviously, the stuff that's been going on with specific fans, these. Five or six really stupid ones, as well as the you know the guys that are fighting within baseball stadiums for for absolutely no reason. Uh, having fans back, you know, it hasn't made much of a difference if you look at home court advantage or home field advantage, whether it's in baseball or in basketball. But the fans at MSG, besides the one who spit at Trey Young, don't like that at all. But the fans at MSG, they were using Trey Young as a villain, and Trey Young was playing into that role perfectly, it just made that series overall entertaining to watch. And I think that that's what basketball needs more of. They need more guys like Trey Young who are willing to play into that villain role. Because we haven't really had too much of that, you know, as far as the young players go. Um, You know, Luka Doncic... He's more of just a a guy who's gonna go out and give you forty two, and he's gonna cry to the refs, but he's not gonna you know have fun with the fans, right? He's kind of just gonna do his own thing on the court. He's not gonna try and make too much of it. Joel Embiid is one of those guys. Draymond Green, whatever he's in, he's one of those guys. But I liked that Trey Young turned into uh, that dude this series, and I, despite what the series record was at. I didn't even care. I didn't even care that the Hawks were up 3-1 and the series was all but lost for the Knicks. I wanted to watch that game in MSG yesterday, specifically because of the way that Trey Young and that fan base were interacting. (laughs) Then you had Spike Lee leave with three minutes left, and I love Spike Lee. I love the movies that he does, everything like that, but man, is he an annoying Knicks fan. (laughs) 
is he an annoying Knicks fan? I mean, seriously, it's, it's it gets annoying after a while. But another thing I do want to point out as well was the way that Julius Randle played. Now, Julius Randle was, you know, the most improved player in the NBA. It seemed like he got new life along with Tom Thibodeau uh, as head coach. He turned into the guy who had the highest usage rate on the team. But in these playoffs, he really did not play all that great, uh, as great as he could have, at least in the first couple of games, especially at MSG. When the Hawks were there and Julius Randle, it just seemed like he, he couldn't figure out a way around defenses. But I did feel like, uh, toward the end, he started to get it, but... I, I did find that interesting, the psychological aspect that goes into everything with playoff basketball, with the pressure that comes along with going to MSG and having to perform. You know, overall, he shot 29% from the field. Shot 29% from the field. That's not very good. And... The psychological factor that comes into it, you know, we hear these legends, we always hear them say, you know, don't count the Warriors out because they got Steph, they got Draymond, and when you got those two guys with the championship ped- pedigree and who know what it takes, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count them in every time. I'm, 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 I'm going to be scared of those guys. You know, and, and, and that all seems like cliche. You know, it all just seems like, yeah, well, they're basketball players. What else are they going to do? That's how they talk. But when in reality... There is something to that. There is something to guys just not being ready for the big stage and getting cold feet. And now I move on to some other guys in that team on the Clippers with guys like Paul George. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, those two are the the faces of that Clipper team and everyone's going to be looking at them now. Now granted, Paul George didn't have a terrible game yesterday. Overall, he had 23 points and 10 rebounds. He did have a double-double. But in the fourth quarter, in crunch time, when it matters, it doesn't seem like those two guys are leading a team. And I I find it fascinating with what's going to happen with Paul George after this season, as well as Kawhi Leonard. Because, you know... Kawhi Leonard and the whole Warriors thing, I'm going to continue to play that up because I do think that if they lose in this series, then Kawhi Leonard is going to be looking elsewhere. Elsewhere, I guarantee you the fans in Miami are just going to say, look, we whiffed on trading away, uh, uh, on trading Tyler Hero for James Harden. We didn't want to do that last season because Tyler Hero was so great in the bubble. Now look what happened. Complete regret. They're going to want to make up for that, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat are the front runners for Kawhi if the Clippers do lose this series. But I do find it fascinating because what's going to happen with Paul George? You know, what is going to happen when he's trying to find other teams or he's trying to join other stars and they're just saying, look, man, what have you done in the playoffs? You've gone quiet. You nicknamed yourself Playoff P a couple of years ago and you didn't do anything. <laughs> you lost. You know, so I do find the psychological aspect of playoffs fascinating. And the Clippers, I mean, they had every chance to get back in that game toward the end. You know, Luka Doncic, he had 42 points, but guess what? 40 of them we're in the first three quarters. He only had two points in the fourth. And the Clippers had every chance to get back into that game. Now, granted, you do got to give the Mavericks defense a little bit of credit for what they did. Um, you know, everyone's looking at Kawhi Leonard in the three that he took from the corner. 
And Rajon Rondo's looking at him like, like, what are you doing? You know, he's got the wide eyes looking at Kawhi afterward, and you can tell that he's mouthing out, like, what were you thinking there? But also, you got to give credit on the defense that was played with Kawhi in the corner. Now, granted, they had six seconds left in the game, and he could have possibly tried to make another play happen, and instead he just chucked it up. But they had every chance to get back back into that game yesterday, and they didn't. And, and they've been playing some uninspired basketball. I could just picture Chris Russo now on Mad Dog Radio. You know, whenever he's asked about the Clippers, he's going to, you need guys that can fight and claw and scratch. <laughs> like, like That's what he's talking about when it comes to these guys on the Clippers. So I do wonder what's going to happen there. It seems that they're imploding. Just an entertaining day in playoff basketball yesterday, but that Knicks-Hawks series, uh, to me, has been one of the most entertaining, if not the most entertaining, despite where the series was at. And that's just because these two teams were playing hard, physical basketball. You know, watching DeAndre Hunter play has been a treat. Watching Trey Young you know, perform in the playoffs. I, I think watching him emerge as that villain uh, has been fun to watch. Everything. Everything with the Hawks this year. And the fact that they even fired their head coach earlier on in the year, it's just crazy where they're at right now. So shout out to the Hawks. They're moving on and they're going to be facing the 76ers. All right. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That is the text line and the phone number. If you want to weigh in, want to shift over to some baseball, and I want to know from you if you're an A's fan, who is the starter that you have the most faith in right now? Let's just let's just hypothetically play the game, right? Let let's hypothetically say that the A's right now at thirty three and twenty five. You know, let's just say this is last year because they're fifty eight games through the year. Let's just say this is last season. You got two games left in the regular season. You know you're going to be getting a wild card spot. Who is the one guy that you would throw out there in that game? Because after what Shamanaya did last night, I am all confused. Plus, there is an anniversary today. Something that happened back in 2003. And we'll get to that next. It's just fascinating, uh, the turn that uh, people took on this one player after this happened back in 2003. So 888-957-9570. We'll get into that next segment, plus some Kevin Gosman talk and a bunch more coming up on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. 888-957-9570. That is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. Now, a lot of the talk with the A's has been regarding their stadium and now seeing what's happening within the minor league system and how these guys are being fed, uh, everyone is pointing towards Dave Cavill and what he's doing with this team. So not a lot of good things surrounding it. However, I do want to talk about this game last night as they get the 6 nothing win over the Mariners. And look, the A's and their lineup, 
I'm always going to be able to rely on their lineup. Those guys are going to be able to come through. And once Ramon Laureano comes back from the IL, they'll be even better. Like, that's that's just it. They've proven that they can have that solid lineup. However, the question has been surrounding their starting pitching. And I want to know from you at 888-957-9570, after Sean Manaya throws a shutout yesterday... We got someone on the text line who's saying it was a complete game shutout. No, it is not. No, it is not. There's no such thing as a complete game shutout. That is redundant. If you throw a shutout, it's a complete game. It's implied. If you throw for eight innings and you don't give up any runs, that is not a shutout. You throw for nine and you don't give up any runs, that is a shutout. It's not a complete game shutout. That is redundant. But I would want to know from you. Now, right now... 58 games into the season. Let's just pretend it's last year. And hypothetically, let's just say the A's are in the wild card position again, even though they're not this year. They'd be taking the number one spot. But let's just say they're, they'd be in a wild card position. Who would be the guy that you would want to start in that number one spot? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. I'm trying to parse through this starting rotation, and I just don't know who's the most reliable as of right now. So I want to know from you, 888-957-9570, if you're an A's fan, who is the starter that is most reliable for you? But I do want to get to this anniversary that happened yesterday, uh, or excuse me, that's happened today. This happened back in 2003, June 3rd, 2003. And we talk about the psychology of players, you know, last uh, last night, we talked about how, you know, Julius Randle wasn't great in the playoffs uh, for the Knicks against the Hawks and how the psychology plays into it of being within a playoff atmosphere. Well, a guy by the name of Sammy Sosa was on a tear, an absolute tear during this time. You know, he had five straight All-Star appearances, had an MVP in 1998, of course, was in the home run race with Mark McGuire at that time. But in 2003, in the first inning, when the Cubs were playing the now Tampa or the the then Tampa Bay Devil Rays, in the first inning, this is what happened with Sammy Sosa. Well, this isn't. They're good. looking for a few more pieces of the lumber. No, they're looking to see what's in the bat, and they want to see if what's in the bat is really the bat, or if there's anything in there that shouldn't be in there. And Chip, the only wow. time I've seen something in there is if the bat is corked. Let's hope that it's just a spot that's rotten as opposed to a spot that's corked. Tim that's, McClellan. That's why they're looking at it. Checking out that piece of lumber. They found something in there. And let's see what the rest of the crew can discover here. Now what they would discover, because I didn't want to play the entire uh, clip for you, because you can look it up on YouTube if you want. There's a 12-minute clip. Well, listen to 95.7 The Game first, all right? Do this during the commercial breaks if you're going to do it at any time. Uh, but there's a 12-minute video, and it's just the full breakdown of everything. The entire at-bat, when Sammy Sosa cracked it, and then it went out, he grounded out, he got out at first, and he's just sitting in the dugout there waiting as the umpires are checking the bat because he knows what is in there. It is a corked bat so that he can make it lighter. And the thing that I find fascinating is that, sure, he was 34 years old at this time in 2003. And, and, and he'd been on an absolute tear for the previous seasons. But after that, he only played two more years. 
One more for the Cubs in 2004 where he turned into an all-star, gave him 35 home runs and 80 RBIs. But after that, 36 years old, 14 home runs, 45 RBIs. Then he came back a couple of years later and played for Texas and ended up having 21 home runs. But just the turn that everybody did, I remember when that happened. And I remember looking in the newspaper with someone who posted like a picture with something that looked like it was out of a high school science book where they showed the inside of the bat and they showed the way that it is corked. And looking at that video again, going back, man, back in 2003, 18 years ago today on June 3rd when Sammy Sosa had the corked bat. It's just crazy to look back on that time. But triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Back to my original question. If you are an A's fan, and let's just say hypothetically, you're 58 games into the year, And let's just say you're going to be in that wild card spot again, where the most important thing, the most important decision that Bob Melvin would have to make would be who is starting on the mound. Now, after uh, last night's game, I'm baffled. I really am. Because Sean Mania for me, would not be on that list. He wouldn't. And I go to one specific specific stat for Sean Mania when it comes to him as a starting pitcher. And that is... The all-beloved Babip. <laughs> it's just fun to say. Babip. Love that stat. But batting average on balls in play. Essentially, when a guy gets a hit, when he puts a ball in play, what is the batting average of those specific hitters that he's facing? Well, among starting pitchers, Shamanai's is the worst. You know, it's at 340, which is huge. Now, granted... If he, he he did miss a lot of bats yesterday. He had eight uh, he had eight Ks and he had a couple of walks. But when guys do get the bat on the ball against Manaya, they do tend to get down for a hit. They do, and that is the one thing that is stopping me right now uh, from saying that Sean Manaya would be that dude. And I think that that's where I'm at with this A's team at this point. Like we know what they could do in the regular season, right? We know what they can do. 33 and 25, it's a good record. And the streak that they had obviously helped that earlier on in the year. I mean, the losing streak also helped that earlier on in the year to get them where, where they're at right now is separated uh, by eight games and wins and losses. But right now, Shamanai is four and two on the year. He has a 3.36 ERA. And going down the list, if you would have asked me beforehand who's the guy, I would have told you, you know, Jesus Lazardo. Is that dude, right? I I would have said Jesus Lazardo, but he hasn't been in for a while. Frankie Montas, I would have said him before the season, maybe. But, you know, right now he's got a 4.45 ERA. He's not doing much. Cole Irvin was on a nice stretch. If you remember, I was talking about Cole Irvin for about 10 minutes on this program one time. But now he's got a 4.12 ERA. Chris Bassett, you know, he obviously had the shutout, and he was incredibly emotional after after the game, and we played that sound uh, after he did. But right now, he's got a 3.53 ERA. He's not looking like the Chris Bassett that we saw last year, the Chris Bassett that A's fans fought for when Bob Melvin made the decision to put Jesus Lazardo on the mound against the White Sox in Game 1. So I just don't know who it is. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. But I am at the board, and I have the capability just to take phone calls here. So phone caller, on hold, what is your name? Where are you calling from? 
Uh, Charlie, New York City. Charlie at New York City. All right, Charlie, what do you want to say, man? I say, as an A's fan, you go with Bassett. He, he's mm. the most dependable. I don't trust Manaya in a big game. Uh, Bassett has proven over the last couple of years that he's the, 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 the A's staff. Mm. Appreciate you, Charlie. Uh, uh, you, you got any more, or are you just going to... I'm sorry. Y'all good? No, no, no. I, I, I was pocket dialing. Sorry, I was pocket dialing. <laughs> I'm multitasking. Yeah. No, I, just, just with, it would, can I can I touch on basketball with you? Of course you can, Charlie. All right, uh, uh, Warriors. I'm a Warriors fan. I'm, I actually root for all the uh, Bay Area uh, teams, native New Yorker. But that's besides the point. Going forward, if uh, you were talking about the Clippers with uh, with Kawhi and and uh, Paul George, that yeah. team and Paul George, would you as a, uh, a Warriors fan, would you? Uh, look into obtaining a Paul George? <clears throat> no. If I had to choose between one and the two, Charlie, I'd probably go with Kawhi Leonard if I had to choose one of the two just because Paul George in the playoffs has just proven uh, that he really can't do much. I appreciate the phone call, Charlie. Look, he tried, you know, 23 points on 15 shots yesterday, but really it's the closing of the game where you got to take over if you're one of those two guys, and they just do it, didn't do it yesterday. Uh, but look, the whole point of this conversation with the starting pitching is that it's the biggest question, and I think it's going to be the biggest question remaining uh, for the remainder of the season. Not only is just can this team stay healthy and the lineup sustain what they do, because the lineup is going to get you some hits no matter what, and they're going to score you runs, but the starting pitching as Shamanaya goes out and throws a shutout, it continues to baffle me with these guys. And I also forgot about this young dude. I do like James Caprillion. I do. This young rookie, now right now he's 2-0, he's got a 2.95 uh, ERA, and uh, the most recent set of runs he gave up was in his last start, but hey, I like what Caprillian, Caprillian's doing, I like him as a, as a part of the rotation, I wonder where he fits in, um, you know, once these other guys start to come back off the IL, and you gotta fit these guys into the roster, um, because right now, he would be considered at the bottom just because you got all these veterans up there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with that rotation going forward. Speaking of starting pitchers, the National League Player of the Month was Kevin Gosman. I want to talk a little bit about him next because there are some numbers that I sifted through yesterday that stood out. Wait till you hear them. But also, I went through the contracts of starting pitchers for guys who are 30 years old. And I do wonder what an extension would look like for Kevin Gosman. So we'll get to all of that next, plus a little more basketball talk on the other side. 888-957-9570. That is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. My question to you, knowing that Kevin Gosman is 30 years old, and let's just say you had the option to give him a contract extension, how many years would you give him? 888 That's the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Do you slide like you're the L.A. Clips? Do you lose like you're the L.A. Clips? Put that spot... Okay, I'm not doing any more. 
I just thought of that off the top of my head as I started the song. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Talk the first segment a little bit about basketball. We will get back into it. Second segment got into the A starting rotation and actually had Charlie from New York call in. And me being here, take you a little bit behind the scenes in case you don't know. Uh, you know, started out as a board op here and then uh, eventually became producer of this 5 a.m. show, worked with the morning show. But I've heard from Charlie all throughout my tenure here. So it was really good to hear from Charlie in New York, hear from a familiar voice who I haven't really heard from in a while. So shout out to you, Charlie. Uh, man, it's going to be a fun day today, by the way, on the roast because uh, three hours from now, you got better Kate than never where. Uh, you know, Kate's watching uh, a ton of movies that she hasn't seen, some classics, and the first one they, that they started out with was Hoosiers. And I ended up rewatching it last night as well. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, I had it going on and I had, a, you know, the sports on the laptop. I had two laptops and a big screen with Hoosiers going on at the same time. I must have looked like a crazy person. So I wasn't necessarily paying attention to it, but guarantee you Kate's going to give a great review uh, coming up. But I want to know from you, and that's at 8.30. But I want to know from you at 888 That's the text line and the phone number. Would you give Kevin Gosman a contract extension? If so, how long would that be? And it's way too early to talk about this. It is. But as we head into the month of June, I don't know if Kevin Gosman is going to keep up what he's doing because he was named the National League Player of the Month, he had a 5-1 and record, a .73 ERA, opposing hitters were batting 165 off him, while only 20% of them were getting on base at 201 and a slugging percentage of 241. That is crazy. An OPS of 442. 442 doesn't happen, people. If you are a hitter, let's just say you don't know really what OPS is or you don't know where the barometer is. Let's just say if you have a 600 or a 700 OPS, that is pretty bad. That's pretty bad when you got the slugging percentage and the on-base percentage in uh, when you got the slugging percentage and the on-base percentage combined. However, Kevin Gosman, 442 opposing OPS for batters. And I want to go through some numbers here from Kevin Gosman that have stood out to me after being named the NL Player of the Month for the month of May. Now, this one stat, I go after it all the time, but this one stat here, he's only given up one home run this month, and that was in the first game he pitched this month. <laughs> That's it. Just one home run. And that was to the Padres in the first game. And they still won that one 7-1. to one. And then the second game that he started against the Padres, 7-1. to one. And hey, fellas, keep it down in there. I can hear you through the mics. Curly, tell him to keep it down in there. I can hear him through the mics, seriously, because the door's open and I'm trying to talk. But, you know, no one's okay. No one's listening. Whatever. That's fine. Uh, so he's only given up one home run this month. Okay, you're not, okay, they're still not listening. They're not listening at all. Uh, So he's only given up one home run this month. That was the first game he pitched this month. Now, his Woba, I love Woba, love Babip, love Woba. His Woba is the lowest it's ever been in his career. 
by a large margin. Now, first off, what is WOBA? WOBA is the weighted on-base average. Now, the reason it's weighted is based on the type of hits that opposing batters get against them, how it impacts scoring, how it impacts winning, all of that. His WOBA this year is 209. 209 is Kevin Gosman's WOBA. That's the lowest it's ever been. Previously in his career, 318, 319, 346, 324, 332. Then 283. 283 was last season. That's the lowest Woba he's given up. 74 points fewer than the last year. That's crazy. A 209 Woba? Guys just getting on base against him? Like, that's incredible to me. 209. Now, another thing that stood out. The splitter, right? The splitter is what we always talk about. The split finger fastball. It's his get-out pitch, you know, it's the one that he uses when he's in a two-strike count, and really, it's one of the most deadly pitches in the game right now. It really is. However, players have hit 139 off his splitter, okay? 139. But I will say this. Last season, I I don't know if we gave him enough credit for what he was doing, because last year, teams were hitting below 100 off that pitch. A .96 average. A .96 average off of that splitter last year. Okay? They're hitting 139 off of it this year. So, if anything, I mean, guys are hitting a little more off of it. I mean, going from a 139, or excuse me, a .96 to a 139. I mean, that's one thing. Now, he's already pitched the splitter way more than last season, and it's hard to imagine teams would have figured it out uh, if they would have faced that pitch more. You know, I wouldn't think they'd get to a 139 average, but it's the fastball for me. It's the fastball that's been the most impressive. Last season, opposing batters... Yo! Stop talking! Try to do a show here! All right. My God. It's unbelievable. Whew! Back to it. All right. So the fastball for me. Last year, hitters were hitting 280 off of his fastball. This year, they're only hitting... 169 off of his fastball. 169 compared to last year when it was 280. The 280 is a pretty good average. Almost 300. But now guys are hitting 111 points lower at 169. Now it's not like he blows it by guys. It's not like he's pitching 98, 99 miles an hour. He's only in the 68th percentile in fastball velocity this year. And his spin rate, it's you know, it's not incredible. He's in the 50th percentile there. But guys are only hitting 169 off of it when last year they were hitting 280. So, look, I know we give all the attention to the splitter because that is the pitch. That is the main one. Guys hitting, you know, barely 130 off of it. But that continued from last year into this year. Last year, his fastball, 280. I mean, those numbers are insane to me. So that's just a few from the 408. Love a man with a low woba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like these acronyms, man, they're all so crazy. I mean, you should go to defensive numbers. If you just try and go to the defensive analytics, go to the oozer, the razor, the zone range or something like that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what are these? There's the FIP. I love the FIP. But Babip is my favorite. Babip, Woba, Fip. Love a good Fip. 
<laughs> so stupid. Um, but I do want to go after this because Gosman just turned 30. Now, looking after this, NL Player of the Month, batting 073 right now. Oh, excuse me, having an ERA of 073 in this month of May, which is crazy. But Gosman just turned 30. And I wanted to take a look at this, and I asked you, 888-957-9570. I asked you earlier, what type of contract ex- contract extension would you give Kevin Gosman if you were to give him an extension? And you are Farhan Zaidi right now. Would you give him an extension, and how many years would it be? Because looking down right now at these 30-year-olds that got contracts, David Price signed at 30. In 2016, he signed a seven-year, $217 million deal. Seven years, 217 mil for David Price at 30 years old. Now, granted, Price had had the playoff experience, and he was an ace at that time, but look what it's turned into now. David Price is the opener for the Dodgers. So... I don't know if you're going to be giving him a seven-year deal at this point. Max Scherzer also got a seven-year deal worth $210 million, and he had a signing bonus of $50 million. I mean, I mean Max Scherzer, seven years, 210 Now, he's lived up to it, and he signed that in 2015, and he's actually a free agent in 2022. It's something to keep an eye on. But Jacob deGrom at age 30, five years, $137 million. Then we get to the interesting part. Trevor Bauer, three years, $102 million. <laughs> $34 million on average with a $10 million signing bonus, the highest that's been given to a pitcher, right? Like, we're not looking at that. Clayton Kershaw, another guy, in 2019 at 30 years old, three years, $93 million. On average, $31 million with a $23 million signing bonus. And then Madison Bumgarner at 30 years old. Five years, $85 million, on average, $17 mil. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at when it comes to Kevin Gosman, if they are going to give him a contract extension. Do they give him a five-year deal? Can he keep this up for the next five years where you could be paying him? I mean, look, the average, again, when these guys signed at 30 years old, I'm just looking at it from here, but Clayton Kershaw and Madison Bumgarner, Kershaw, at, uh, Kershaw on average, 31 mil. Bumgarner on average, 17 million. So you'd expect that Gosman would maybe want something in between that range, right? It's somewhere in between 17 and 31. And quite frankly, I'd be okay with that, but I would not want to give him a five-year deal or a four-year deal. I think I'd be right in that three-year deal realm. I think that's where I'd be at because, to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect from Kevin Gosman in the future. He has been great to watch as a Giant, and watching his resurgence has been fantastic. And I also think it speaks to the coaching. You know, that's one thing that gets lost in all of this and everything that Farhan has done is the coaches that he's hired. The pitching, uh, the, the director of pitching, his name is Brian Bannister. He's at the forefront of the analytics movement and helping develop pitchers. I have no doubt that he helped Kevin Gosman in getting that fastball and that splitter, taking all the little analytics, all the little things that help you, and trying to make it a li- uh, just a bit more simple. I do think that that hiring goes unnoticed. Now, you know, he works a lot with the guys in the minor leagues, but look, I personally think that he's helped Gosman a lot. So as long as these coaches are there, I do have the faith, but five-year deals for me, it's just too much. You know, five years, there's so much that can happen. 162 games a year, 
five seasons? Like, that's a really long time, man. And we've seen what happens when you can give these guys big contracts. You can see what happens with that. You know, sometimes it doesn't always work out. So I do think Gosman, I think he's done enough to warrant an extension. <laughs> what he's done in the month of May, a .73 ERA. .73 in the month of May with a two oh nine WOBA. <laughs> it's insane. So I do think he's warranted a contract, but I don't know how much uh, it'll be worth overall. I mean, I'm just looking at these guys that signed him at the age of 30, which is what Gosman will be throughout this year. He doesn't turn 31 until next January. But I do think a three-year deal somewhere in that, you know, maybe $18, $20 million a year range. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he'd be worth it. He's been an absolute joy to watch. Shout out to you, Kevin Gosman, uh, for becoming the National League Player of the Month in the month of May. From the 925, this is interesting. They need to move forward. Cannot get stuck in a Shark Quato Kane situation again. And, you know, like that's that's the other thing, too. That is the thing, because you, you have that in your mind, and it's very understandable. <laughs> like, like these contracts that the Giants have given pre- with the previous regime to players that have, uh, you know, you don't know what they're going to be doing in the future. It's what have you done for me before? That's what we're going to give you a contract based off of. And those ones that they gave to, you know, Samarja and, and Cueto. Cueto's actually been okay, though. You know what I mean? At least Cueto is, you know, giving you some good outings from time to time. He hasn't always been. He's, he, it wasn't like Jeff Samarja at all, right? But I think Gosman, um, I, I think the fact that he's kind of uh, had a resurgence in his age 30 season and he's taken and it's taken him since what 2014 to really find his identity find that fastball and splitter learn when to use that combination i, I think that the best is actually yet to come for gosman but five-year deals just scare me that's just it that's just it five-year deals scare me from the 707 i would sign him for two years with a third year option that is the cement guy i love it i love it i love playing gm because who knows what Farhan's going to do, but I do think he's worth it. Uh, from the 650, Woba? We talking about Woba? Woba? Not ERA. Not ERA. Woba. That is from the 650. Damn right we're talking about Woba. The weighted on base average, baby. I'm telling you. The previous year, 287 Woba for opposing hitters off Gosman. This year, 209. 209 is an insane number. That means guys are getting on base 20% of the time. 20% of the time. That is crazy. That's exactly what his OBP was in the month of May. That's It's just nuts what he's done. So let's hope Kevin Gosman can keep it going, man, because he has been a lot of fun to watch, although we don't need to overreact. When he has that one start, that one DeSclafani, Alex Wood type of start where they give up a ton of earned runs, we need to not be out on Gosman after that. Guys, are you can afford to have one bad outing, okay? Doesn't feel like Gosman's done much of that uh, this year. He's just been having outing, good outing after good outing after good outing after good outing. Okay, I do want to transition here because this is something interesting. Now, we're in the second week of OTAs for the 49ers. And the talk, you know, as as, as it should be, it's between Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's going to be the starter? 
You know, you know, should Trey Lance start week one? And personally, I think you need to start him as soon as possible, and rightfully so. We are going to be going after that a ton. But one guy we're not paying attention to, and I think one guy who we aren't really putting pressure on as of right now, it's D'Amico Ryans, the new defensive coordinator. Now, he's got a ton of talent, and he spoke to the media yesterday for the first time as the defensive coordinator, and there's one clip that stuck out. Now, he talked for at, at length about how he wants them to be an attacking defense, and you know he wants them to play hard, play fast, and be aggressive, and do all those different things. And he also said that he wants to let the players execute on the field. It's not necessarily going to be with just his game plan, so it is going to be uh, on the players to make the call. I think he's going to uh, be one of those players' coaches. But he had this to say yesterday uh, during his media session, and uh, D'Amico Ryan saying he's not feeling any pressure. I think when it comes to pressure, it's all about just your preparation and what it, what have you done to prepare? To there is there pressures like playing like you get that those butterflies before you go out before you run out of the tunnel. But is there pressure? There's no pressure, but it's just have you prepared yourself for the moment? And I think for me, it's just putting in the work now in the off season, putting in the work during the season. You just put the work in to put yourself in a position to where you feel as prepared as possible for each week. So. He's saying it's all in the preparation and, you know, he doesn't feel the pressure. But I'm just saying, we're putting a lot of pressure on, you know, when Trey Lance gets under center in our actual regular season game, the pressure is going to be on him, right? It is. As soon as he throws an interception, people are going to be going nuts. They're going to be overanalyzing everything and just not looking at the bigger picture. But it's going to be the same exact thing with D'Amico Ryans. You know, now that Robert Sala is in New York, I mean, that you know, that's a whole different type of pressure now that he's the Jets' head coach. But hey, Kyle Shanahan's the offensive guy; he's the head coach. But the defensive coordinator has such a big role on this team. Replacing Robert Sala and what he did with this defense, it's tough. And they're bringing in a bringing in a defense that is going to get Fred Warner. That is going to have Nick Bosa back. You got Javon Kinlaw on his second year. You know, Eric Armstead, you're expecting him to perform. But if this defense doesn't live up to any expectation, look, I mean, there's, I, I don't believe there should be any pressure on Tobiko Reyes at all. You know, but we have seen how fans react as soon as the defense gives up a little bit, just a little bit. Because. If 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 he if he does not perform with the talent that he has on this defense, a talent that's been proven, you got Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart. Now you know people have their reservations about those guys, but they have been very serviceable safeties. Jason Verrett, if he stays healthy, I, I mean you should expect that guy to be within the Pro Bowl conversation uh, this year, right? Jason Verrett was a great story last season. Um, Emmanuel Mosley. Everyone on the defensive line. Dre Greenlaw. I haven't even mentioned Dre Greenlaw yet. There's a lot of talent on that defense. And if they don't go out there and do what 49er fans expect them to do, it is all going to circle back on Ryans. It is all going to circle back. So he may not feel any pressure now because of his preparation, and I like that confidence that he had. I really do. But... (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man, if this defense gives up a few touchdowns and loses some games, we're going to be coming in here wondering, well, what are we doing? Why, why, why'd we, why we build from within? Why don't we hire from the outside? Why don't we hire someone different? You know, all, the, all those different things. The outside noise is going to be creeping up. Just the key for, the key for Ryan, hey, stay off social media. <laughs> like, that's the key right there. Just don't, don't go on social at all. You know, just stay off of it if you have a bad game. I do want to play one more clip. He talked about the biggest difference between him and Robert Sala. Now just having my eyes on D-line, linebackers, and and the secondary. Just being able to interact with, with all of the guys a lot more than I have been able to in the past where I'm not just focused on the linebackers. We're able to get to know the guys on the D-line better, get to know the secondary guys better, and just making sure we all gel together as a tight-knit group, as a brotherhood. And I think that's really the big picture thing is just dealing with with all of the guys, all the different personalities, just being able to manage that. And it's been going really well. And I played the wrong cut. However, that is different. That is different what he's going to be facing there. I do think that that pressure that's going to befall D'Amico Ryans, if that defense with that talent doesn't do what's expected of them, doesn't do what Robert Sala was able to do, which was, when healthy, turn them into a top-five defense. (laughs) Oh, man, the pressure is going to be on. All right, coming up next, the morning roast with Bonte Hill, Kate Scott, and Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky. And according to the rundown, you got producer John Curley and technical producer Stephen Langford. How about that? Uh, we got Ryan Dempster coming up at 7.30 to talk Giants, Cubs, and then Cousin Nick, Nick Friedel coming up at 9.20. I'm assuming to talk a little NBA playoff basketball, but I think he is a Cubs fan too. So we'll get into all that. Whew, the morning roast. Going to have a fun show. Stay tuned now.